fucking Nathaniel Hackett. Go, oh, it's better than Bill O'Brien. We're so low that we're at this point we're just reacting to news as if like, oh God, that news isn't going to make me suicidal. Excellent. Hello and welcome to The Drunken Jaguar. This is Bentley and today we have reason to celebrate not just because the Jaguars upset the Indianapolis Colts this past Sunday. It's also because Ased and I are sitting at the same table, sipping our coffee and eating our Stroopwafels. Oh, and they are delicious. They are very good. I don't know what's in them. I know there's honey in them, but these are good. It pairs with coffee perfectly, I would say. Um, If you ever need any Stroopwafel recommendations, you know who to get in touch with. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. I guess it's been a long time since we've been here in person recording, and it's been a long time since the Jaguars have given us a day to be proud of. Uh, I think it goes without saying, but this was kind of the best way to send the team off into the offseason, that after the calamity that was this 2021 regular season, we are blessed with a uh, an extra 17th game. Whether or not that'll last in the NFL regular season structure, I guess, is yet to be seen. But we take full advantage of that 17th game, go out and beat the Colts, as we always <laughs> do, it seems like, especially when playing at home. And we do so in a fashion that actually unlocks a chain of events that shakes up the entire AFC playoff picture throughout the day, making us one of the big talking points. And the whole NFL is saying, shit, all the Colts had to do was beat the Jaguars and they're in the playoffs and they couldn't do it. And then you kind of have to say, well, I mean, they got beat, they got handled by the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence had a great game and the highlights all look pretty sweet. It was something to be, to be proud of, man. I couldn't stop watching SportsCenter. Later that night with Scott Van Pelt. Yes, yeah, it's Scott Van Pelt. Yeah, it's SPP. Going over and over again over Jaguar and talking about how it impacted everybody later in the day. And we became such a main talking point. They even gave us a closing segment about Dewan Smoot getting his bonus. I saw that many times. I watched it on repeat too. Yeah. I had to. They were talking about us as if it was like we were like the team to talk about. Like, Oh, even our, you know, second tier players and their personal <laughs> lives are, are national newsworthy, which is fantastic. Yeah. And we let, I would call them our little brothers, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. We gave them hope. I mean, they were playing at the same time as us. And imagine those fans sitting at home or I don't know where the Pittsburgh Baltimore game was played, but they're thinking, holy shit, like probably at, you know, two Eastern, we have a chance to make the playoffs because the Jaguars are handling the Colts. And that means a lot. I, I know the Steelers Twitter page, you know, tweeted it out and Chase Claypool tweeted out all they needed was no tie on Sunday night football, which that got, you know, pretty close as well. Uh, it's one of those things where I know everybody listening has already followed the events of last Sunday, but it's kind of nice to go back and reminisce a little bit. The Jaguars pull off this win against the Colts and it's it's a you feel it's going to be a win, right? I mean, Greg Gumbel and, and the, the announcers in general throughout the game are saying, oh, shit, if, the, if the Colts don't get their act together, they, they might actually lose to the Jaguars today. 
and it was such a complete game. Even Jaguars uh, denier Greg Gumbel was praising our complimentary football uh, in which both our offense and defense were helping set each other up for success. Of course, he did say he hadn't seen any of this all season. <laughs> I can't believe we beat them. And then Carson Wentz is literally getting ran out of town because of this one game, I think. Because if they make the playoffs and, you know, maybe they lose their first game, whatever, maybe they win one game. Carson Wentz is there to stay. Right now he's getting ran out of Indianapolis. We played spoiler in a way that was very satisfying. And at the same time, you already mentioned Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers are waiting to see the results of this game to see if it gives them a chance to even get into the playoffs. And it was kind of funny because, you know, last week Roethlisberger played his final game at home at Heinz Field. It was a very dramatic send-off on Monday Night Football. And he, he like, walked around the stadium doing the, like, the soccer, you know, send-off. Yeah. He goes and high-fives fans, like, the length of the stadium and stuff. And his kids rush on the field. And uh, he's he's visibly emotional and tears up in a post-game interview. And, and they kind of, they, they finished the broadcast by saying, well, yeah, this is going to be not only Roethlisberger's final game at Heinz Field, but he's probably only got one more game in his career <laughs> unless the Jaguars win next week and a series of other things happen, right? And for the Jaguars to be pulling this off, and like you mentioned, early enough that the, the Steelers know it as they're playing the Ravens um, gives the Steelers, I, I'm guessing, enough of a, glimpse of hope to to pull off their win and then they they theoretically are going to make it into the playoffs now now this is this is where it actually gets good that's that's like a side story thing like oh well Roethlisberger might get to play a playoff game really cool for them later in the evening the Chargers and Raiders are playing each other and we already knew about this scenario last Mm -hmm. week before the Jaguars won where if the Jaguars win which they did the Chargers and Raiders could tie and both would go into the playoffs. They would both make the playoffs. And that would also mean that the Steelers would have had the whole afternoon to essentially celebrate getting in, and then they'd be kicked right out of the playoff picture again. Kind of a cool setup. Oh, man. It was the weirdest thing ever. And, you know, people joked about they're going to tie, they're going to kneel the ball, you know, and just go 0-0 the whole game. And it turns out it's a really competitive game. The Raiders look like they have it in the bag. And then here come the Chargers out of nowhere. And boom, we have a almost tying scenario. And from the sounds of it, I think they were going to let it end in a tie if Brandon Staley didn't call timeout at the end. I don't know if that's actually true, but it was legitimate almost about to be a tie. But for the Raiders in that position, they had to think, you know, we have to win this game or else we're going to Kansas City. And I'd way rather go play a game in Cincinnati than to go to Arrowhead and play the Chiefs. No, oh, hell yeah. And I, I'm glad that you you mentioned that because a lot of analysis of this game isn't covering their actual consideration in winning the game. I think, right. I think for them to, for either team to intentionally tie, to have some halftime locker room conversation or some pregame conversation where they say, hey, if we get close, if we get down to the wire, we are going to tie, doesn't look good for the team. Not good for morale. Even though it would it would like be NFL lore about the first season that we had 17 games and an effort, I guess, to try to make like make us have odd uh, records that you have less chances of teams even tying in record and whatnot. And and this would have actually negated that and, and fucked everything up massively to where this tie ejects another team from the playoffs. I mean, 
it, it just it just wouldn't have looked amazing if they had intentionally thought to, uh, planned to do that. And and I think you have to say that we're not going to tie, like to maintain your self respect. But they admitted after the game, the Raiders said that they were actually it seemed like they were leaning towards running out the clock. With they the were game tied in overtime, so we have to give major credit to Justin Herbert and the Chargers for actually for coming back. They were down by fifteen with something around like five minutes left to go in the whole game. Justin Herbert's hitting, you know, first down after first down on on these like fourth and ten. They had like six fourth down conversions, didn't they? Yeah, which is actually crazy. And their coach put them in holes, deep holes. I mean, they went for it on fourth down on their own eighteen. Yeah, it's like Madden. That's what you do in, in Madden, literally. The guy who never punts. Yeah, completely throwing off the stats of, yeah. of their going for fourth down on the season, right? I mean, they, right. they probably have the, the best percentage in the NFL now after that one game. Justin Herbert definitely deserves a Medal of Honor for, for, for this game and and keeping them keeping them close. But you also have to wonder for the the Raiders, it, it is a risk to kick a field goal. Like there's a chance it could get blocked, blocked. in return. Yeah. You know? So yeah, apparently they were almost going to run out the clock and. Uh, they changed their minds midway through. There was a timeout called, and they they wound up having this this uh, first down uh, run and made the field goal seem a lot more manageable. But holy God, what an interesting way to finish off the season! And the Jaguars <laughs> set it into motion in the morning. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, the Jaguars really started everything. And I know the people in Pittsburgh are scoreboard watching, but really, what impressed me was. The Jaguars, I think they embraced the spoiler rule. Maybe maybe they didn't, you know, but they knew about it in the back of their minds that they had a chance to ruin the Colts season and it's a divisional rival. But I love what Greg Gumbel said. They did play complimentary football and it felt like our first real win because I feel like in Miami, we didn't play really good offense. And I feel like in, well, in Buffalo, we did not play good offense at all. And this time it was the offense and the defense helping each other out. And it seemed like a complete team win and everyone bought in for one week and it it looked like normal football. It looked like a, I want to say, winning football team. They played like a winning football team for one week. I will say we, we, you know, we saw what it looks like when you have confidence and you have some morale that you can build around. I think that was a really, really nice element of the game, and something that I'm very, I'm very happy that we were able to, to, to see that come together to coalesce at the very, very end of the season it was really, it was really nice. Uh, so anyway, yeah, so f- exciting game. Um, this is this is why the World Cup <laughs> for the end of its group stages plays everyone at the same time, uh-huh. to where you can't know that if you tie, you go into right. the uh, elimination rounds, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then I want to ask, though, do you think that because we had a 17-game season and because we the NFL added that extra playoff spot in each conference, did that factor into the to the madness, the mathematical madness at the end here? Or did we just kind of stumble upon something unique? I mean, the 17th game, you would think it would take it away from all the madness, right? Because it just makes sense. More games, less likely, you know, you tie with someone and it goes down to a tiebreaker. But then the 7th team actually pushes it back the other way where there's more likely to have like crazy scenarios because more teams get in. And that's exactly what happened. But it happened with so many teams. Those three teams fighting, basically. Those four teams fighting for wildcard spots, right? Because the Ravens were technically still in there too they needed they needed the Colts to win I believe which is really weird because they needed I, I I don't know what it was but I'm pretty sure they needed the Colts to win I don't know man it it just got crazy and I know the people in Pittsburgh were watching and the Jaguars they they played spoiler and they did it they did it and now there's a lot of talk going on in Indianapolis you know where do we go next and 
how did we blow this? I mean, you're talking about a team who got so hot in the middle of the season that people are saying this is the scariest team, the team you do not want to see in the playoffs because they'll run it down your throat and they play playoff football. Their style of football is playoff football. I heard someone explain the Jaguars upset of the Colts as one of these, you know, oh, this is proof of the of the parody in the NFL. Oh, boy. <laughs> I didn't think they had a chance. Honest. Yeah, yeah. I woke up late. When I woke up, the Jags were up 7-0. I was like, what the hell is going on? Oh, wow. Yeah, I was laying in bed. I was like, don't the Jaguars play today? And I was like, I think I said something along the lines of, yeah, f- football. I was also yeah. pretty tired. Don't the Jaguars play. <laughs> I was like, f- football. <laughs> All right, so we've wrapped up the season. Another big talking point from this game is Trevor Lawrence's performance. It was solid. It wasn't magical. It was solid. I think his the the botched snap where he he turns around, spins around, he's getting chased by a linebacker, I think, and was able to find Marvin Jones in the back of the end zone. That's the that's the play that we've been showing and talking about and breaking down. And it's on it's on hard knocks. It's beautifully captured on the most recent episode of Hard Knocks, which mm. which featured the Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence looked good. I think more important than the fact that he had a, a solid game. And it, I mean, you know, like tw- 23 of 32 for 223 yards, two touchdowns and no interceptions. No interceptions. Yeah. That's that, a big one. No fumbles. <laughs> but but look, that's not like, a, again, like, that's not a magical game, but that's like a solid game. That's a, that's a Mark Burnell number, actually. But right like watching some of the throws he made were incredible, including that throw to Marvin Jones. And he was feeding Marvin Jones like heavily, very heavy. I, I hope to see Marvin Jones back next year because I know he was hurt and, you know, it, it's tough. He's playing with the rookie quarterback for the first time. I would like to see him back. I appreciate that because a lot of people are going one fell swoop, fire all the receiver, cut everybody, don't sign any, don't re-sign anyone who's receiving for us. Can you get Chark no. for cheap? Yeah, Chark for cheap. That's a nice hashtag. We also, <laughs> I mean, we also have, this is a lot of over, overreacting, I guess, too, but we've got Treadwell. <laughs> he started playing Laquan good Treadwell, football, too. Who's really stood up and... You know, it kind of is funny, right? Because at the beginning of the season, we were all up. We were all about our, our receivers, all hype and everything. And <laughs> looking forward to Trevor Lawrence. Oh, if you saw what, you know, Chenault could do with Minshew. Oh, I wonder what he can do with Trevor Lawrence. Kind of deal, right? Not much. And and so much so that in the preseason, I think we were focused more on the bubble receivers trying to get in. Fucking Jeff Cotton Jr. I know, yeah. Treadwell and Austin. Yeah, Tavon Austin, Tavon Austin which who yeah. he actually played a yeah. little bit. And a lot of these have been, they've actually gotten a chance throughout the year. And it's, uh, they're all bad. And they, <laughs> I mean, three weeks in, we're, our, we're talking about our best receiver being Jamal Agnew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> so I did want to take a look at stats for the season, if we can nerd out on that for a second. Okay. All right. Um, two, two facets here. We've got, we've got the 17 game stats. We also got to be purists here and look at what stats were like for 16, for 16. games. They probably, <laughs> probably weren't pretty for 17 or 16. Well, I can tell you number one is James Robinson's didn't change because he's injured. Yeah, obviously. of course. Yeah. Um, all the best to, to James Robinson. But he put in 767 yards, my man, eight touchdowns. <sighs> we won't even get into the saga of Robinson not even getting game time when he wasn't in it. That's true. Miles Jack in the 16 game season had 103 tackles. Tyson Campbell's our only what two interception person. Yeah, I don't even know if Shaq Griffin ended up having an interception. I think he had about seven near. 
interception. Shaq Griffin says that he he asked Trevor Lawrence to let him know wherever Trevor and the receivers hang out in the offseason. Is this true? Or is it's this a true. joke? Oh, really? <laughs> oh, no he, way. He wants to come practice catching with them. I think he needs to do that. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. And Trevor on the season had 3,418 passing yards for the 16 games. Of course, he gets this nice little 220. I mean, this is kind of an average game, right? Coming in at the end there. Yep. So 3,641 yards for the season. Now, Trevor played every single game. He was he wasn't he didn't miss significant time. Uh, with the exception that one time C.J. Beathard came in and completed a couple passes. You missed like, yeah, three plays, maybe? Yeah. A couple nice passes, by the way. Yeah. So so Lawrence's numbers, how do you react to that overall? Like, what's the story on Trevor Lawrence? If you know, we had this roller coaster of ups and downs with him over the season, we've got all, all the Urban Meyer shit. We have a unproductive, unsupport, a relatively unsupportive, toxic <laughs> situation, for sure, among owner, uh, manager, and at least head coach that we're aware of. And the guy manages just under 60% completion percentage. Not good. 3,600 yards. Not good. Yards per attempt, 6.1. Not good. 12 touchdowns. Really not good. He had a couple rushing touchdowns though, right? Two or three, I'm sure. He was he was good on that front, right? Yeah. I think no complaints there. 17 picks. That's not good either. That's like, actually really bad. Horrific. Yeah. yeah. Like Peyton Manning, rookie season mm-hmm. there. Peyton Manning had more though, right? Picks? Uh, yes, he did have more. He Yeah, he had a bunch. Were you alive when Peyton Manning was a rookie? Do you remember that? One, 90, what, 99? <laughs> yeah, what was yeah. it? 99, yeah. right? Peyton Manning versus Ryan Leaf, you know? Oh, yeah. I yeah. forgot the same one, draft. One of them would become a Hall of Famer. The other one was uh, Peyton Manning. I and I was actually talking to someone at the radio studio who covered the Broncos for a long time. And he was talking to some other people and he said, Trevor Lawrence reminds him so much of Peyton Manning in his rookie year, which I thought was a really good thing. I mean, that's a good sign. I mean, obviously it's a bad sign because Trevor did take a lot of chances that turnovers can't happen because along with those, however many interceptions he had, he had quite a bit of fumbles too. So you got to take care of the football. That's what it's all about. Like you don't have to be a game manager, but you can't turn the ball over either. Yeah, it's huge. And I'm, I'm learning that in Retro Bowl, too. The more, the more that I play this video game on my phone, games with a pick, man. It's just harder to climb back from it. Straight up. I'm getting off the dynamic mode, by the way. It's too easy for me. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. I, I'm winning every game by like three touchdowns. Oh, that's good. Have you had an undefeated season yet? I'm only on season two, but I haven't lost yet. Right, I season, lost in the Super Bowl. 12. I lost in the Super Bowl in my first season. Oh, shit. Nice. You know what happened was I didn't really bulk up the defense because, you know, I don't play defense and the opposing team scored pretty much every time down the field and I couldn't do anything. They score magically, yeah. 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 It doesn't matter if you if you punt or if you go for it and fourth down, it's the same story. Touchdown! Big yellow letters. Yeah, and it's like, Levitt was too slow. Levitt was too slow. It's like, what do you mean he was too slow? And next thing you see is touchdown for God, the other... Levitt. God. Yeah. All right. Uh, Trevor's uh, final stat here is 32 sacks. I mean, that's not his fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then the yards lost on the sacks, 238 yards. He, he would take his sacks really far back. I think he had a problem maybe not stepping into the pocket. Because, you know, when you step into the pocket and you get sacked, you lose four or five yards. But when you start scrambling away and away, you know, start drifting back, you're going to lose 15 yards. And also it makes the throw a lot harder. It's, this isn't college. You can't just run straight to the right and then hope you beat the guy off the line because these guys are way too fast. However, uh, looking good on tape, 
uh, in that final game, pulling off the victory, a nice win, a better win than our Bills victory, which which is all defense uh, and probably some Urban Meyer voodoo or some Trevor Lawrence gets, you know, the post-game kiss from his wife. He's on fucking, there was like, it's on TMZ or some shit, man. Like that we're back in Trevor Lawrence hype mode right at the right time. Good taste in your mouth. Send you out into the off season. I can't complain. It was what an, what an amazing, like the, the silliest, most amazing way to go off. And the Lions beat the Packers securing for us the number one pick yet again. But we got it without shame, right? We got it because the Lions beat the Packers, not because we dropped another game at the end there. Right, and the Lions could have sold too because the Packers were really resting everyone as they had locked up the number one seed. Man, yeah. I mean, I don't know how much the number one draft pick means this year because, I mean, there's a couple pass rushers which we are going to choose from, and I assume the Jaguars will get a pass rusher, but there's also opportunity to trade down. So draft time is going to be super interesting. I can't wait till we you know, start talking about the draft. Of course, not today. It's a little too early. You know, just still soaking in the victory. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna soak it in. As we soak it in, let's soak in some commercials, and we'll be right back. <laughs> All right, so here we are. We're back. I think uh, if if you if you want some entertainment, actually, number one, go listen to the recent Duval Hot Takes episode. They did a season wrap, and it was hilarious, and talked about the events of this past Sunday as well. Also, uh, feel free to go back and check out. Any anyone's season predictions because I think Jaguars fans everywhere were way off for how the season was going to unfold. Everybody was tempted to think about playoffs. We all had this inkling in the back of our minds that you know what, maybe Trevor is the magic key that unlocks a division title this year. Maybe Urban Meyer's success is going to carry over here immediately. Neither of these guys have ever had a losing season trevor lawrence has only lost like deep into championship territory here and we were sadly wrong and the jaguars were humbled and we got rid of urban meyer man i remember the houston game when we were waiting outside the stadium to see if we had a chance to meet some players Mm -hmm. and the jaguars wind up filling their buses and nobody greets anybody really right like they straight up load the buses and they head out that on that first bus, Urban Meyer was seated up front next to the driver. And it must be some, see at the seat, occasionally there's like a seat after you go up the stairs into the bus, these big charter buses. There's a seat that might be right in front of that, right? Like someone sitting right at the glass, like right at the windshield looking out. And that was Urban Meyer. And he didn't make eye contact with anyone. He didn't wave. There wasn't a smile of even of relief, you know? Yeah, we just lost this embarrassing game to the Texans. Oh, here's some Jaguars fans. Hey, little nod. Zero. He's had his pouty face on from gay from from, from, gay. from day one. And and then Trevor was on that bus and and like waving at the the back. So yeah, that's the guy Trevor is, though, I think. Yeah. I mean, Trevor surfaced as a far better coach and a much more mature personality than Urban Meyer this year. That's for sure. So I want to ask you, I said, how do you see the next several months unfolding? Specifically, like what's going to happen the next few weeks, but then also like where do the Jaguars stand come next summer when they're entering the preseason? Well, 
you know, it's easy to look at the negatives because there's so many of them, but we got to look at the positives. Trevor was not that good, but he can only get better from here. We would think, right? I think he's going to put in a lot of work in the off season, some work with his receivers, which hopefully doesn't include going swimming in a lake with his receiving crew. I think that's what they're doing last year. Remember the picture, you know, him and Chark and Chanel look like they're having a great time. People are quoting, quote, tweeting it saying, oh, these guys are going to take off. Look at this. They're bonding. Well, maybe they should do some bonding on the field too, you know? And I think Tyson Campbell is someone I really look forward to seeing next year because, you know, we saw this with Jalen Ramsey. I'm not comparing them, but his first season, we're like, okay, we have something here. But you are comparing them. I am comparing them. Okay, whatever. But then the second season, you really saw the leap for Jalen Ramsey. We're like, okay, this guy is legit. Like he is for real. And I think he could be a shutdown corner. And I think that's what Tyson Campbell can be. I'm with you on that. Totally different personality than CJ Henderson. If Jalen Ramsey and Deion Sanders taught us anything, half of being a good cornerback is personality and intimidation. You want to yep. get into the mind of the receiver. And I'm starting to see that for from Tyson Campbell, man. He's got the energy. He's got it. He's vocal. I, I dig it. I like I, that's a comparison and I like that comparison. And holy sh like what a what a good pick then, if that's the case, right? Absolutely. We were all wrong. Because we were all like, oh well, Tyson Campbell might be okay. Who the hell is he? He's coming out of Georgia. Yep. Why didn't we pick so and so? We had like three other secondary potential candidates on our list at that draft level, and even the season didn't. He didn't. He wasn't doing well in the off season. I can tell you that much in terms of preseason and how he looked. You know, heading into the regular season, but he's he's proven us wrong, and he's emerging along with several other players on the yep. roster. Cisco is the huge one, right? I think Cisco's been playing well. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, for sure, he's been playing really good football, and yeah, I mean. If you start naming off names, I thought, uh, what's his name? Uh, fucking Damien Wilson. Yeah. Is that his name? Yes. Oh, my Middle God. Yeah. I always get the Damien's, Damien Harris and Damien Wilson. Yeah. Damien Wilson has been playing good football, too. I think Miles Jack picked up his level of play, you know, going into the season. We didn't see Rayshon Jenkins anymore. We hope for more from Shaq Griffin. And then on the offensive end, we're going to see Trevor Lawrence's, you know, he's going to have a familiar face in Travis Etienne. Right. And we know we're not going to have James Robinson probably all of next year. So I think ATN's going to get the bulk, the bulk of the carries. Well, that's pessimistic for Robinson. I mean, really sad, but I know. I hope for better well, news. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it's a pretty bad injury. Uh, this is a little off topic, but where the hell did Rock Armstead come back to Jacksonville? What, what's going on? He's playing good too. Last couple of games. I was a little nervous the first game back. He, he looked a little rusty. Yeah, he did. And the guy had uh, myocarditis and had to leave football. He had to leave like running. Wow. Last year, 2020. He was one of the the, the un, unsung, you know, COVID casualties who, who winds up returning to the NFL. Uh, and after floating around a bit, the Jaguars pick him up this season when they're in like absolute running back limbo. And it's so nice to see him break off on that big run yeah, on he's Sunday. Yeah, good. And, and it'd be fantastic if he sticks around. I am, I am all systems go for Rock Armstead. And it might happen because that running, uh, running back room is not very deep right now. So we could use all the help we can get. And hopefully, really, the draft goes well. The offensive lineman, Cam Robinson, we're going to have a lot of stuff going on during free agency. Remember, this team has, I believe, the third most cap space in the NFL, which makes it an attractive coaching job. Yeah, offensive line... Uh, as always, a question mark. And I think all of us Jaguars fans and commentators have an uncanny ability to convince ourselves of literally anything with the offensive line. Yeah. Um, part of that is, uh, for, for some, in some cases, the, the PFF grades on some of our linemen are absolutely terrible. I think Jawan Taylor had, had a really, a really, really bad, bad year. Yep. 
Um, for other people, I think Cam might be one who had a better PFF grade he did. than what you would like, which you you would be imagining just by sort of word on the street alone, right? And just by by sort of watching watching games and overreacting to him getting called for a holding or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The line wasn't overreact. good though this year. Yeah, and and we have talked about what is it? Juwan Taylor's already said no chance of him moving inside. Uh, to guard and so you have this question now walker little as well right like moving into the starting lineup here ben barch we haven't talked about too much i mean he was a late pick in 2020 Mm -hmm. and what the smoothie king kind of a meme meme character and but he's been he's been putting on a lot of downs recently so i don't know i don't know anyway we'll we'll see in the draft if if we use that first pick on on a alignment and what, what side of the football alignment right the yeah because if it's an offensive lineman i would see us trading down a couple spots if someone would bite which we don't know yeah. well, i hope we're not hope we're not trading down for like just a late round pick either i, mean, yeah. I want to see i want to see a good i want to see like a, a top 10 for sure yeah yeah it has yeah. to be i, I want to ask you a question if we can go through really quickly on both sides of the football An- another thing retro bowl has taught me Oh boy. <laughs> and this is for for someone like me, I must be very slow in my football knowledge, but being able to distill the game down to whatever it is, essentially like six core, eight core players or something that you build your team around offers a lot of lessons. And I think I think yeah. the, I think that one thing I I've been contemplating is whether or not we have a decisive player at each position group, in each position group. And I think that if you have a shutdown corner, it helps inspire the other corners to play better. I think if you have at least one one safety who's excelling, it helps the whole safety group, linebackers, et cetera, et cetera, as you go down through, through the defense and then the offense as well. So I want to ask you, because I like let's start with this defense right here. I thought Shaq Griffin was going to be that for us this year. And he wasn't. And we were we were paying him for that. Mm-hmm. And if and can you imagine if Shaq Griffin was able to match up against the number one receiver for the other team and then help elevate the other cornerback at the time we had CJ Henderson in addition to Tyson Campbell and also our, you know some old old names old names in the family here Trey Herndon mm-hmm. right that that it would it would like elevate that player to uh you know solid starter status and it didn't happen nope didn't happen so let's start with this with this with the secondary here in general do, do you see any of our corners being that shutdown guy for next year yeah, Tyson Campbell. You think it's going to happen? Yep, I think Tyson Campbell. He might be the best player on that defense. And he probably elevates Shaq Griffin with him, yeah. hopefully. And the safeties, really. If the corner plays well, the safety has less responsibility. Do we have that at safety? I am not sure. I think Rayshon Jenkins is a really good leader, though. Okay. So I don't know how great of a player he is. He's a good player, but he's a good leader. So, okay. So maybe. 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 Maybe, maybe like if the morale, if the needle shifts enough, then the safeties yeah. elevate their game as well. At linebacker, you already mentioned you're a huge fan of Damian Wilson now. Yeah. So you see him sticking around and playing a leadership role. Yeah, but Miles Jack, I think, you know, is the guy. He's right still there. the guy. Yeah, but, he's still the guy. But he undoubtedly elevates the linebacker room. So we're pretty I set think on linebacker. so, yes. Um, okay, what about for, for defensive line in general, as well as, you know, edge rushers also in that combination, on that in that conversation? I mean, Josh Allen's the default assumption here. Did he get it done this year? And is he going to do it next year? This is where we we go to the draft, man. You get someone opposite to him. And that's how they elevate each other. We saw this with Yannick Ngakwe, a young guy who was a second round pick, I believe. And he was elevated by the play of Calais Campbell. 
and who else was on that damn team? Dante Fowler. I mean, you know, all those edge rushers we had that year, that whole defensive line was so stout that it helped Yannick get sacks. And that's what you're going to hope for for Josh Allen. Josh Allen's going to get help from either Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan or uh, Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. And one of those guys, they're going to elevate each other. They're going to help each other out a lot. I hope so. And you mentioned Calais, man. Moment of silence for our great Calais Campbell. This guy, he's he's off still with the Ravens now. Yep. Right? And he is metaphorically and and literally a huge presence yep. on whatever team he's on. Uh, vocal leader, setting an example, not complaining. Uh, and, he, and he's a performer, right? The guy's still like fucking tipping field goal kicks and incredible and knocking down passes and sacking the QB just insane. So like, I think Calais is the prime example for us in our recent history of a player changing that entire defense, not just their position group. As we move to offense, <laughs> do we have, do we have this in, at all on offense? I mean, we'll start with the obvious is Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. You build around Trevor Lawrence and you just keep going with that. Obviously we don't know about James Robinson's, you know, we don't know what he's going to be. We don't know what Etienne's going to be. DJ Chark, I mean, I look forward to seeing what, what he could do, but I still don't think he's a number one. So no, I, I don't think we have anything settled on the offense. I think it's the same thing that we were dealing with last year. Without Robinson's injury, he would be that, though. I think so. He is somewhat of a game changer. But as a running back, it's hard to it's hard to be that if you don't have any kind of passing game. I mean, even if you look at the Vikings, you know, Dalvin Cook, he really opens up their play action game and their play action game works because of him. But they still have a good quarterback and they have really, really talented receivers. Within our tight end group, anybody? Dan Arnold? Arnold? You know, Dan Arnold was playing really good football and I think that trade wasn't as bad as we thought it was. You know, when it first happened, Dan Arnold played good before he got hurt. The rest of him, O'Shaughnessy is just an average guy. He's a good blocker. Um, we saw that uh, guy, I can't remember his name, Manhurst. Yeah, Chris Manhurst. Yeah. Oh, man, he was god-awful. And then Luke Farrell, I think we might have something there for Luke Farrell. The, you know, he was a rookie, too, out of Ohio State. He started playing. He had moments where he looked good, but he had a lot of moments where he looked really, really bad. There's, there's nothing on the You office. didn't say anything about Jacob Hollister. Oh, boy. This is a guy who's going from practice squad to game, getting called up. It's, it's not a good tight end room. And then for our receivers, man, are we being too harsh on, on the receiver room? No. Does DJ Chark have a chance to come back and be an established leader? Was he ever that? Uh, Chenault, are we being too hard on Chenault? Marvin Jones, is Marvin Jones not that guy? Come on, man. Like, give me uh, no. devil's advocate. We, we don't have that guy. I mean, you can look in the draft. There's always really good young receivers. You can get one in the second, third. But I don't, I don't feel as we have a number one. But you don't always need a number one to be that great. You just need really good receivers watching the Cowboys and Eagles when I, when I wasn't swooning over uh, the idea that Gardner Minshew was out there uh, starting a game for the Eagles. Uh, it was, it's this reminder that even with Michael Gallup out injured for the Cowboys, how deep their receiver room is very right? deep and their, their receiving core is there year in year out. And they, they make that a priority. They really do. I mean, even trading for Amari Cooper, what is that? It's like three years ago now, right? Like a mid-season trade and being aggressive drafting CeeDee Lamb mm -hmm. and uh, Jerry Jones doing the whole classic giving CeeDee Lamb the number 88 so he can be like Des Bryant and <laughs> Michael Irvin and Drew Pearson before him. And that, that kind of shit is, I know it's, it's gimmicky in a way, but it's it just shows how big having a standout receiver is for them. Yeah, absolutely. I just think these guys can get better too. The younger guys, you know, we know what Marvin Jones is, but I think Chark, you know, he's going to come off that injury and really look 
he's going to get a team-friendly deal if we do hold on to him. And, you know, he's going to be motivated as ever to have a good season. But other than that, we're, we're going to find out. Um, and, and find out we will. Okay, coming back here, we got to talk about leadership now. Perhaps the final chef's kiss on the Jaguars outside of the Colts this last week is that it was also the infamous uh, clown out day. Jaguars fans showed up dressed as clowns. I'm pretty sure I saw a photo of ESPN's Michael DiRocco also donning a clown outfit <laughs> in protest of Shad Khan's inexplicable loyalty to general manager Trent Balke, who I would say the fan base is trying aggressively to paint as just the most dysfunctional, unqualified general manager in the history of sports. I don't know how true that is, but I do understand and feel just aghast at the idea that you would bring back the same GM that was part of the Urban Meyer experiment. Kind of independently part of it, too, because he was a director of player personnel or some shit the year before. It just doesn't make sense. And, and I think why Khan even had to say that Balky's being extended as if it wasn't like a default assumed thing. I've heard, um, who is it, Pete Prisco and Tony Baselli almost defending Balky's presence because he needs to be there to interview coaches right now. But you don't have to come out and say we're sticking with Balky, right? Like this, which is what Khan did. We've also had the most horrifying week after this victory in which Bill O'Brien was for a hot second in terms of betting odds, the most likely candidate to be oh. hired, former Texans coach, emotionally immature kid who apparently was he like a Deshaun Watson loyalist and shit and, yep. and uh, really sunk the franchise when he assumed uh, managerial roles as well. He was getting a lot of heat for his uh, play calling in the Alabama game as well. Damn. So, which which is funny, you know, he's their offensive coordinator. I'm surprised he even wants to come back to the NFL. I don't know if the Jaguars would be the best fit for him, especially coming back to the AFC South. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it would make a lot of sense. And, um, you know, Doug Marone's on that coaching staff too at Alabama. So, you know, I'm sure they've talked about what it means to coach the Jaguars, the ups and the downs, the good things, the bad things. And I'm surprised Doug Marone didn't talk him out of it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too Ted Lasso here like how much you listen to the fans when you make these big decisions right, right? but this would be a clear no-brainer like do not hire bill o'brien and you've already done the bulky thing and we don't know how if that's actually going to last into the next season or not but good god uh i think it's brought us down to such a low point with such low expectations and people you know publishing letters about why they're not going to renew their season tickets and uh, how you know choosing who's going to be your next football team when you're no longer supporting the Jaguars, all that kind of stuff. It's brought us to a point where now we're glorifying kind of the next available option, right? Which in this case is obviously Byron Leftwich. It's like the, the front runner for that with the hometown return. I don't want to say hometown hero because he was cut by the Jaguars after we drafted him uh, as, a, as, a, as a first round pick. And it's also making other coaches who normally wouldn't look appealing to us among them, fucking Nathaniel Hackett, as like, oh, it's better than Bill O'Brien. 
And I feel like that's really lowering our sights. And I hope Byron Leftwich will turn out to be an awesome head coach. I would absolutely love it if he came to Jacksonville and just turned around and, and won at the head coaching level. That'd be, that'd be insane. But my point is that we're, we're like, we're so low that we're at this point, we're just reacting to news as if like, oh God, that news isn't going to make me suicidal. Excellent. Uh, I'll go with whatever, I'll go with whatever news doesn't depress me. And that's, that itself is sad. Yeah, it sure is. You know, when it comes to head coaching too, and when it comes to Trent Balky, I think fans, they just want to point their fingers somewhere. So of course they're going to blame Balky for all this stuff because when you're losing, it's easy to point fingers at everybody. And I honestly don't, that's one reason I don't want Byron Leftwich is because I don't want that love that the city has for Byron Leftwich to go away because coaching, being the head coach of the Jaguars doesn't work out for him. And it's a possibility that it doesn't. But on the other side, that's the guy we want because we know he is a Jaguar. It's been a treat to be able to record in person here. Thank you, I said. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this episode of The Drunken Jaguar. This is an SB Nation and Big Cat Country podcast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Junkin Dragwar. And I said, before we close out, what are you most excited about hearing from the Jaguars in the next uh, two weeks? Ooh, hearing. Well, I like to hear that we have a head coach because I think it'll happen in the next two weeks. And I hope it's Kellen Moore and I hope it's Byron Leftwich. I want an offensive-minded guy. I think it'll really help Trevor Lawrence's progression. And both of those uh, quarterbacks as well. Former exactly. Quarterbacks. Yep. Makes it even better. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just fantasizing over this change of mentality at that coach level. Have some, have someone nice. Yeah, coach. Yeah, well, this is this is exactly how we were feeling last year. Get, getting Urban Meyer, like it's all gonna change now. All you can do is hope, though. And that's all we have. Until next time, go Jacks. Go Jacks. PFT uh, commentary, you know, from part of my take. Do you see his, what he said on the podcast? No. This is really funny. So, you know, every year they say, usually it's about the Jaguars. They're like, can Alabama or can Georgia, since Georgia was the best team in college football, could they beat the worst team in the NFL? And he's like, I'm glad nobody's asking if the best team in college football could beat the worst team in the NFL. I think the Colts would kill them.